0: Amen, amen. Are your hearts hungry for the Lord Jesus today? Amen. Let me get situated here. All right. Well, we've been going through the gospel of Mark, and we're still in the gospel of Mark, and we're going to be in the gospel of Mark for until about October or so. Uh, So just, it's. I'm camping out there. I hope y'all are okay to camp out there with me. But today we're looking at the topic of our triumphant king. Now, you need to understand, we've been in Mark since about January, and we're just now coming to... The Passion Week, the week of Passion, this is the last week of Jesus being on the earth. It begins today as we look at the triumphal entry of Jesus, and it will conclude at the end of this one week, of course, as we know as the resurrection. But this one week in the Gospel of Mark, Mark takes six chapters out of the 16 chapters to cover this last week in Jesus' life. As he walked the earth these final days during Passion Week. And that's what we're seeing here today. We're seeing the beginning of that with what is known as the triumphal entry of Jesus. Now as we think about that, we think about Jesus, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, as he is entering into Jerusalem as a king. Now... Uh, there's, there's some things that are going to take place as we look at the story here in just a moment and see how this all happened. But you know, as you think about when royalty enters into a place, when royalty comes in, now we don't have royalty per se here in America, but I'm sure that you all have seen in England when the queen is moving about, that uh, when she's in her carriage or what have you, that people line the streets and and they will, uh, everything around them stops. And the flags will wave and crowds will cheer and what have you. And that's great, you know, for royalty. But as we look at the, the triumphal entry of our king into Jerusalem, there's some of that maybe, but it is completely different because it is a different kind of royalty. It is our triumphant King, and we'll see what that looks like here as we move through the passage. But today, as we look at this triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, we're going to see a couple of things we will remember. Who he is, we will see the response that he deserves, and we're also going to see the righteous wrath that he has with a reason. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, and then, then skip over a little bit that we'll get next week, and do 15 through 19. So in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you would please stand if you're able, as I'll read for you Mark 11, 1 through 11, verses 15 through 19 as well. Starting verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way, found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those stood there, said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, and so they let them go. And then they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father, David, that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's skip down to verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple, began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Let's pray together. Father, as we enter into this moment and this time, we thank you for the reading of the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that you have written this for us, that we may understand and that we may apply it to our hearts and our lives and remember that you are indeed our triumphant king. That as we begin this week of the Passion Week in the scripture, Looking at this last week of Jesus, Father, that you would remind us of the cost that has been paid for our salvation, and Lord, that you would remind us of your grace that overflows us, and Father, we are constantly overwhelmed at who you are and what you have done for us, and all these events that took place, took place, place so that we could be in a right relationship with you. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you, O oh Lord, for what you're doing at Mount Pleasant. Thank you, Father, what you're doing in our midst, even here today. For Lord, as we come before you now, we are reminded that you are the Lamb of God who was slain, worthy of all praise, worthy of all glory, worthy of all exaltation. And that you demand of us to be your disciples to follow you. Now, Lord, may you have your way as we open up the word of God together and speak through it. That you'd give me the the words that I need. But, Father, that you'd hide me behind the cross. Lord, may you bind up uh, Satan and his demons. that They'll have no authority over us. But may you have full authority. And, Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You May be seated. Well, the outline for today's message is in the bulletin. I want you to follow along there and keep some notes if you would. That'd be great. You can look back on those a little later. But the first thing that we see here as we look at this passage of scripture of our triumphant king is to see that, first off, he has a plan. He has a plan. Now, let's just look at the first six verses again and look at this and see this plan that unfolds. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage in Bethany, this is Jesus, his disciples, at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them... Go into the village opposite you. As soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied. Now, this is a donkey, a, a foal of a, of a donkey, a colt, on which no one has sat. That's that's the key. Remember that. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, "Why are you doing this?" say, "The Lord has need of it," and immediately He will send it here. Now, somebody would say to them, if somebody's getting ready to take their donkey or their colt, that's pretty important. That's sort of like you just walking up to your neighbor's house and getting in the car and driving away. It was like barring the car without being asked. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, when you get there, if someone says, what are you doing? Then say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. Immediately he will bring it back is what he's saying. So they went their way, found the colt tied by the door outside on the street and they loosed it. But indeed, some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing? Loosen the colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. And so they let them go. So Jesus gave the disciples here. As we look at this, we understand that Jesus had this, told them what they need to do. He gave the disciples a task, and they obeyed the task. And as they obeyed that task of going and loosing the colt and telling the people what Jesus wanted it for, the Lord wanted it for, then they found that the situation was just as Jesus has said, and they brought the colt and the donkey back uh, to the Lord Jesus. Now, what is, what's the significance of of all of that. You know, it's just a story of what took place. Well, there is really significance of what happened here. As we look at this story, it is the perf- listen, it is the perfect plan of God that is in place. And Jesus is about to ride into Jerusalem as a king. That's what's about to happen here. Now, understand as we we look at this passage of Scripture in verse 7, we see something else. That Then they brought the colt to Jesus, this donkey to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on it or their cloak, and Jesus sat on it. Now, understand that as people typically in that day pilgrims would walk this hill into Jerusalem. They typically would not be riding into Jerusalem. They would walk this hill. And Jesus here is riding the colt. He is riding the donkey. Now understand, look, as we see this as well, can you think of another time when Jesus is riding? You cannot find it. The only other time that I could find when Jesus was riding uh, on a colt uh, before here is when he was in his mother's womb. That's about the only time that he was riding. And so we see that here. He's he's always walking when you see Jesus, but now you see him riding. And we see that he is riding on a donkey. He is riding on a colt. And why is that significant? It's significant because a king would have ridden on a donkey. And not just any king, but a king from the line of David and a king who is the prophesied king. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, 500 years prior to this day, this moment that is taking place here, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied about this Day that is happening. It was part of God's perfect plan. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, that verse reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal Of a donkey. It is the prophecy of Zechariah 500 years before this day, and Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of the triumphant king that is coming into Jerusalem. Our triumphant king, friends, has a plan, and it is God's perfect plan. Y'all with me this morning? Say yes. Amen. Very good. Well, so what else do we see here? What else do we see in this layout of what is taking place as Jesus has laid these things out and told the disciples what they needed to do? What else do we see? Well, as we mentioned a moment ago, we said that this cult, Jesus said that when you find this cult, a cultite on which no one has sat. Now, that is significant no one has sat upon this donkey you see this donkey had never been ridden well that why that is is important is because it was a sign of sacredness you see only animals that had not been used for ordinary purposes were appropriate for sacred purposes you remember back in the old testament in first samuel chapter 6 when the ark had been captured by the philistines when the ark had done some things God had done through th- thing, things of the ark. The Philistine says this thing has got to go. And so they wanted to send it back to where it belonged. And one of the stipulations was that they needed to have this cart. And on the cart, it needed the cart needed to be uh, brought forward, uh, carried by two milk cows that had never been yoked had never been used. And so it was sacred because the ark was sacred. And here we see the same thing. This is an indication that the one who is riding on this donkey, friends, is holy. He is the triumphant king. Now, is that all that we see here? Well, no, there's a little bit more we see here. Notice in verse three that Jesus says, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. Friends, up until this point, Jesus has never used the term for himself, of Lord in the gospel of Mark until now. Wow. So what does all of this mean? What are we seeing? It's all part of God's perfect plan. The messianic secret where Jesus had told people not to say something for so long before this moment. Now Jesus is openly declaring to the people that he is Israel's king and Messiah. That's what he's saying in all of this that is taking place. It is very clear to the people who are witnessing what is taking place that Jesus is openly declaring to all who will hear, to all who will understand that Jesus is indeed Israel's king and Messiah. You see, our triumphant King, listen, our triumphant King Jesus has come with a purpose. He has come to die for man. And Jesus knows the plan. And Jesus has the plan. And Jesus is the plan. Amen. He is the plan. And as the disciples are told what to do here in the process of this plan, they obey and they find everything just as Jesus has said. It is God's perfect plan. The day and the hour has been selected from eternity. This triumphant entry happens on the Lord's Day, this on a Sunday. The awful crucifixion takes place on Friday. Then on the third day, the Sunday we also see another triumphant experience, a triumphant event, and that is the triumphant resurrection of our Savior. So we come from the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and then we see the triumphant departure from the grave. Amen? That's what we see here of our triumphant king in this week. He is our triumphant king, and he has a plan. The king has come, and the Messiah has arrived the the mission that he has been sent to do it will be fulfilled the task will be accomplished and the disciples had been given the role of getting the colt getting the donkey and they follow through and they find it exactly as Jesus says his plan is perfect and our triumphant king enters into Jerusalem Well, the second thing that we see here is that he is to be praised. Our triumphant king has a plan, and our triumphant king also is to be praised. Look at verse 8. It says, And many spread their clothes or their cloaks on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. Now, spreading the clothes, the cloaks, the palm branches on the the road— what is happening here is that the people are seeing Jesus as what he is wanting them to see. They see him as the king. He, they see him as their king. And so Jesus, if you recall, Jesus is well known now. And they recognize the symbolism of what he is doing. And so they hail him. They praise him as the king and as the promised Messiah. If you look at verses 9 and 10 we see what they what happens here then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, there are those who are they are not lining the road like what we would think with the Queen of England as her, her entourage would pass through. No, there are people who are going before Jesus who is riding on the colt, and there are people who are coming behind him, and they're shouting out, and they're praising, Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, the word Hosanna itself is a transliteration. The Hebrew is Hashiana, Hashiana, which means save us, deliver us. Save us, we pray. Deliver us. That's what Hosanna means. And what they're doing is they are quoting from the Messianic Psalm of Psalm 118. You can find Psalm 118. You can find that verses 25 and 26. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's fascinating because Jesus is allowing them to shout Hosannas and blessed be the name of the Lord where he had not allowed that before, now he is allowing this to take place. He is the triumphant king. It was time for the Messiah to be praised. Why? Because it was part of God's perfect plan too. He is to be praised at this time. It must be be done. Because this praising Jesus as the Messiah, it begins to set in motion the plans of the religious leaders to have Jesus arrested and tried and crucified. This event of them coming into Jerusalem, Jesus coming in, riding on a donkey, that is showing them that he is their king, the king that's coming in. But then, and we'll look at it in just a few moments in verse 18, the cleansing of the temple. We see at the end of that in verse 18, it tells us that the scribes and the chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. So those two things coupled together really set in motion what needed to happen that week for Jesus' mission to be fulfilled. But even here, if you remember, not in in Mark, but in Luke's account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, that, that entry provokes the religious leaders as well. In Luke 19, verse 39 and 40, you remember that some of the Pharisees called to Jesus from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, because they were shouting Hosannas to him. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But Jesus answered and said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out because it is time for him to be praised. Our triumphant king is to be praised. Now, the people here who were praising Jesus certainly did not understand the full scope of what was happening Only Jesus likely knew the full significance of what was taking place, but he still must be praised at this moment and in this way, he must be praised. They were praising him. The people, the crowds were praising him thinking that he was to deliver them from Rome, but he was coming to deliver them from sin. They thought that they were praising and thinking that he was to be their political or military savior, but instead he came to be their savior, saving them from hell and sin and death. You see, they were praising, thinking that he would be the king of the Jews, but instead Jesus came to be the king and the ruler of all. They came praising and thinking that he would be the heir to David's throne, but instead, friends, Jesus came to reign on the hearts, on the throne of the hearts of the people and their lives as well. This is our triumphant king, people, and he is to be praised, he is worthy to be praised. And so what we see here in this passage as the people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It comes from, as I said earlier, from the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 118. And in that psalm, I'm not going to read it there's quite a few verses but you can go back and read it later Psalm 118 but in that Psalm we see that the people are praising the Lord for several things they're praising the Lord for deliverance they're praising the Lord for mercy they're praising the Lord for answering their prayers we're praising the Lord for protection they're praising the Lord for strength they're praising the Lord for courage they're praising the Lord for their for saving them they're praising the Lord for giving life and giving light they're praising the Lord for being our God and they say quite a few times his mercy endures forever and friends this most certainly points to Jesus in this, in this passage that we get that, that uh, verse that we all quote uh, a time, you know, quite a few times this is the day the Lord has made we will rejoice and be glad in it and it is pointing to this day of the triumphal entry This is the day that the Lord has made for this moment and this time, and we will rejoice and be glad in it because our king has come. And so we continue to praise him. This is our king. Listen, this is our king who came into Jerusalem triumphant, and he is still, watch, he is still our triumphant king. Amen? He's still a triumphant king. All right, and then, so he has a plan. He is to be praised. And then thirdly, he has a passion with a purpose. He has a passion with a purpose. Let's look at verse 11. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all, the thing, at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve so now they have come into Jerusalem they come into Jerusalem after the the uh, the folks have the people have praised him and hailed him as the king he now comes into Jerusalem and the first thing that it tells us here is that he goes into Jerusalem and into the temple he enters the temple and it tells here that he looks around what he is doing is he is He's looking at everything that he has seen in the temple. He is probably only in the court of the Gentiles here but he is in this temple and he is seeing, he is surveying, he is assessing what is before him in the temple and then we see that he comes and returns the next day if you skip down to verse 15 and what happens when he comes back the next day. So he has already surveyed the temple, he's looked around, he goes back and now he's coming back to the temple the next day. We see in verse 15 and 16 they came to Jerusalem and then and Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. What in the world is going on? What is Jesus doing here? Is he having a, a conniption? Is he having some kind of fit here? No, this is very orchestrated. He surveyed it the night before. He knew what he needed to do, and he comes back, and he performs what needs to happen the next day. Well, what is he doing, pastor? Well, I want you to know as he goes back to the temple. Understand as we think about the temple. The temple is huge. It takes up a lot of acreage in Jerusalem. And as you look, if you could look at the temple, the outer part on, in the temple, the outer part is called the court of the Gentiles. There are other courts that lead inward, court of the women and different other things. And then it comes to a place where there is the, the holy of holies. That's where it finally comes to where the Ark of the Covenant is, where behind the veil, that holy of holies. But this court of the Gentiles is this outer court. And what is happening is that because the temple is so large, people who are wanting to get from one side of the city to the other, or one side of one part of the city to the other, people would have to pass through. They, they should have gone around the temple, but they didn't want to. They wanted to just take the shortcut and, they, and shortcut, and they would pass through the temple. And so there are people who have their stuff on them, and they're just passing through. It's a thoroughfare. But not only that, in this court of the Gentiles, we see that there's a lot of things that are happening here. And, you, you know, if you've been in church for any period of time, I remember seeing pictures of this when I was in Sunday school as a kid of all the different activity that's taking place uh, during, during festivals and feasts and Passover specifically. This is the week of Passover. Because as people came to make their sacrifices at the temple, they had to come and they had to bring their animals to be sacrificed. All this is taking place in this court. Now, as they bring their animals, understand that as they bring their animals to be sacrificed, these are animals that must be perfect without blemish. And so the people, of you know, they looked at what they had at their homes and they would bring their animals to the temple and they would seek to be able to sacrifice this dove or this sheep or this cow, whatever it may be. And if the animal was not perfect, then it had to be bought there at the temple. It had to be approved by those in the temple that this is an animal without blemish. And it was very easy for those who were in charge of judging which animals had blemishes and not that, well, that's got this wrong with it, so you need to buy one of our animals. You need to buy our sheep. You need to buy our doves. And what was happening is that people were taking advantage of the folks who were coming with their own animals because they would sell their animals here in the temple. They would sell their own at a much much higher price. But not only that, but they could not use the money that they typically had the people who were in the temple would not allow them to use Roman money or Greek money because it had images of people on it. And for them, that was idolatrous to use images of people in the holy temple. And so they had to use the money that was Jewish money. And so there were also stands set up to exchange that money. And to exchange the money was also a scam where they would not give them what they really deserved. And so we had this thing that's going on where people had to pay their temple tax. They had to buy these animals and they had to exchange their money. And so there was a lot of price gouging. There was a lot of, it was a racket is what it was. It was a scam by religious leaders to get more money. And so on the night before Jesus has walked into the temple, he is surveyed and he sees all this that is taking place in the court of the Gentiles. Now understand that there are thousands and thousands of people in this place. As a matter of fact, the historian Josephus in AD 66 said that not only were there thousands and thousands of people, but there were 255,000 sheep in the court of the Passover, during the Passover. So as one commentator said this week, if you want to wrap your head around what that looks like, we've all seen on TV the New York Stock Exchange, you know, when there's craziness, people running around, all kinds of bells and whistles and loud noises. He said, think about the New York Stock Exchange and then add livestock. And that's the picture you get of the court of the Gentiles and what is happening here. And so it is a circus. It is a circus that is taking place in the court of the Gentiles. It is not being a place of worship. And so Jesus recognizes it as such and he burns with passion to cleanse the temple why is that why does jesus burn with this passion and begin to uh, to throw the, uh, the 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 people out and overturning the tables and and uh, the selling the you know the, the seats of the the the, uh, the those who sold doves you know, flipping those and not allowing people to carry their wares through the temple causing people to stop from going through the temple as a thoroughfare what is what is jesus doing here why does he do that it's because listen because nothing should interfere with worship. That's what Jesus is doing. He wants them to understand that nothing should interfere with worship. He says in verse 17, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. You see, friends, the temple should be a place that brings people to God, but here it is driving them away from God. This is holy ground. This temple is holy ground, the place where God's presence dwelt, it's where they were to worship and especially here the court of the gentiles where all the nations were to be able to come and to find the lord here and to be able to worship him in this place but who could hear god in all of this circus who could hear god in all this distraction and the false religion and the the pious people who thought they were all that wanting to exchange your money and really just line their pockets who could could worship God in all of that noise and bustle of that day. And so Jesus had a righteous wrath for a reason. Coming into the temple should have been an invitation to meet with holy God because nothing should interfere with worship of the Lord, nothing. Nothing. Can I ask you all a question this morning? Let me just ask you a question. Is there anything that interferes with your worship of the Lord? Now, I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about the physical aspects of the building, like it's too hot or it's too cold, the lights are too high, too low, or, you know, too many VBS things or whatever it may be that you may be thinking. That's not what we're talking about here, amen? That's not it at all. No. You see, friends, the reason why we're not talking about that is because we no longer worship in a temple. But this building, not this building, but this building is the temple. This building is the temple of the Holy Spirit, our body. In 1 Corinthians 6:19 it says, "Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own." This is the temple we're talking about. And so in this temple as he reigns supreme in your life, as Jesus is to be the king over you, is there anything that interferes with your worship of the Lord? Now, as we think about that, there's three things that I'd like for you to jot down, the A, B, and C at the bottom of your notes. These are to a to-do list, point, action points, if you will. And the first thing is this. Assess the temple. Assess the temple. Now, again, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about this building. Assess your temple where the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Assess the temple and ask, is there anything that interferes with you worshiping the Lord? Is there anything that is interfering with you spending time with the Lord? Just as Jesus assessed the temple that day, we must do the assessment and then ask him to help clean it up for us. But maybe in our own lives, just like in the temple, the the court of the Gentiles, there were many distractions. There was too much noise. Friends, are there distractions in your life that are keeping you from worshiping the Lord? Is there a false religion, as there certainly was in the temple in that day? Is there some false religion in your life, some facade that you have put up? that needs to be rooted out. Assess the temple, friends, and if you find anything there that is interfering with your worship, ask the Lord to reveal it and then to root it out of your life. Amen? Assess the temple. The Bible says, Romans 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. Let our bodies be temples of God that we can uh, worship him and honor him and love him and spend time with him. Let there be nothing that interferes with our worship of the Lord. Secondly, be intentional with praise. Be intentional with praise. Listen, friends, our king is worthy of praise. Amen? And whereas the people who were on the streets going before Jesus and behind him did not fully understand or have the full scope of understanding of what they were praising him for, you do. You understand why he should be praised. Amen? And so you should be intentional with your praise of him. Well, pastor, we do that on Sunday morning. Well, praise God, we do that on Sunday morning. I'm not talking about just Sunday morning. You live more than just Sunday morning, amen? God gives you breath on Monday through Saturday too, I think, and so as long as he is still given us breath, we need to praise him the rest of the time, amen? And so be intentional with praise, and I would even encourage you to take time in the morning, the first thing in the day, and be intentional with praise. As you begin your prayer, praise him. Praise the Lord for who he is, for the characteristics in which he has, his grace, his power, his all-knowing, his presence, the promises. Praise him. For who he is. Spend time praising him. I would also encourage you that as you have your devotions, reading your scriptures, spend time praising him in the scripture. And I would even also go so far as to encourage you, you probably have some kind of praise music that you like, somebody that you like to listen to, that lifts up the name of Jesus, that exalts the name of Jesus. Friends, why not put that on your radio, your CD player, whatever you've got, and praise, let the Lord fill your hearts and minds with praise the first part of the day. Why? Because he is worthy of our praise. Amen? Be intentional with your praise. Assess the temple. Is there anything that's interfering with my life that I can't spend time with the Lord? Be intentional with my praise. And then thirdly, commit your way to him. Commit your way to him. You remember that when the disciples are with Jesus as they're getting ready to come into Jerusalem, God has a plan. Jesus is the plan. It's a perfect plan, and God has all worked all these thang- things out. And Jesus chooses to use the disciples, and he says to them, You two, go down and get the colt. And then he tells them what they need to do there. It tells us in Scripture that they did do that. The disciples did that because they are disciples, they did what he said. Friends, commit your way to him and do what he says because discipleship is being obedient. Amen? Discipleship is being obedient. I'm not sure that the disciples truly understood everything. Maybe it didn't make sense to them of what Jesus was asking them to do or how you know how is this going to work, but they were obedient. Friends, we may not always understand what Jesus is leading us to do, but do what he says and commit your way to him because he is the triumphant king. And so the question then is, if he really is the triumphant king, Does he also reign on the throne of your heart? Does he reign on the throne of your heart? And, friends, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, as the King of your life, you can know him by a step of faith. It's acknowledging that we are sinners in need of a Savior, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us have hit the mark of perfection. We all need a Savior because we're all sinners. In that step of faith, we turn from our sin, turning to Jesus, which is repentance, believing, embracing with all of our heart that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross for us and rose again bodily from the grave to reconcile us to the Father. And we're to profess him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. It's a step of faith. Embracing, believing he is who he says he is and he did what he said he would do. And Christian, Christian, Understand this, that Jesus, our triumphant king, has a plan. He is to be praised, and he has a passion with a purpose. He is our triumphant king, so we must obey him, we must praise him, and we must not let anything keep us from spending time with him because he's the king. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to this invitation, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, maybe as all of us are gathered here, we just, in our own minds and our own hearts, we know those places in our lives that cause us to be distracted from spending time with you daily. Lord, may you root those out of our lives. May you bring it to our minds as we assess the temple of the Holy Spirit, our body. And let there be nothing that would hinder us from worshiping you. We pray, Father, also that you'd help us to be intentional about our praise. Lord, we don't praise you enough to begin the day with praise. So that you would flood our hearts and flood our lives with being reminded of how good you are to us. Lord, we are not worthy, but you are so faithful. But also, Father, that we would commit our way to you. That we would do what you say. That we'll be the people you desire for us to be. To be the disciples who are obedient. Lord, those areas of our lives where we fail in that, may you convict us. May you help us, Lord, to walk away not modifying our behavior but having our hearts transformed by the power of the spirit. And as you transform our hearts, Lord, then our lives are changed. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning renewing our commitment to you. Maybe there are those here who need to come to join this fellowship by transfer of letter or be baptized. Maybe those who need to be professing their faith in Jesus. Whatever you're doing in the hearts and lives of people, Lord, may we be obedient to you as we come to this time of invitation. As you softly and you tenderly call us to yourself. May we be open, may we be obedient, and may we do what you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. You come. I'll be glad to pray with you. Brother Andy's here to pray with you. Or you come and pray silently, whatever you'd like to do. You come as God has dealt with your heart.